So we are going to be heading to Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to review a little bit of Hebrews chapter 3 uh, first, uh, but we'll be in mostly chapter 4 this morning. And uh, I cannot believe uh, that we have made it six weeks into our study. And uh, for me, uh, it's been uh, fast. It went, went by so fast. Maybe not for you because you've been listening to me for six weeks about it now. But for me, it's been challenging. Uh, it's been rewarding. And I hope that I can convey, that's my prayer every week, that I can convey all the truth and all the things that God uh, works in my heart and then be able to convey that to you uh, in a sermon. And each and every week as God works in my life and as I begin to share that with you, that is my heart's uh, desire, that is encouraging, that is uplifting, that it is uh, something that you get out of uh, the sermon and the word of God that can draw you uh, closer to God. And I know that only happens by prayer. And so that's why I pray. That is my prayer. And I hope you pray as well. So if you've been bored or you haven't been encouraged, pray harder. All right. That's what you can do. You can pray for me and pray that God will use me and uh, that God uses me in a way that lifts up his word because I always want to lift up God's word and, and let it work in your life. And Hebrews uh, was written very uniquely. Uh, it is a book like none other. We don't know the earthly writer, but obviously we know the heavenly author was from God. Uh, we know it is loaded like a, uh, is written like an essay. Uh, there are some very deep theological truths. It's written a little bit like a sermon. It kind of transitions. It will call you out. It will name specific sins. It will challenge you. Uh, and it ends like a letter. Gets very personal, begins to name some names, and uh, has a has a greeting or a farewell at the end of it. Um, and so that's the way it is. Sometimes it's loaded with theology, and other times it's just as practical and applicable as it could ever imagine. It's very straightforward. Sometimes it it it, it calls out sins. Other times it's very gentle, very kind. Talks about the grace of God. Talks about the mercy of the Lord. Sometimes it's vague. You don't really understand what he's talking about, but then other times it's very specific and it's very personal. But as you begin to dig into it, you realize all of it's very edifying. All of it builds you up. All of it is profitable. As we know, it was written to Jews there in that region of Rome uh, that were struggling. Uh, they were under severe persecution. Uh, some of them were on the verge or if not already martyred. Their families uh, were losing their, their businesses. Uh, some of them were starving. Some of them were uh, being mocked. Some of them were being scoffed. Uh, they were really paying the price for calling themselves Christians. They were paying the price for going against uh, the crowd, not just the Romans, but also the, the Israelites or the Jews. And so uh, they were in the midst of it. Some of them were being threatened and some of them were already paying the price. And some of them were disheartened. They were like, this is not what we signed up for. We were happy the way that we were. And we would like to go back the way that we were. And some of them were considering to go back. Others had already thrown in the towel and went back. And then some were standing strong and needing a little bit of encouragement. Are we doing the right thing? Is this going to work out for us in the end? Because the cost of following Jesus Christ is great. And I will say to you this morning, it is still the same, the same is true. The cost of following Jesus is great, but the cost of not following Jesus is greater. It is, it is, it is something that you must count the cost. And let me tell you, when you count the cost, you realize there is a cost, but it's worth it. 
And that's what the writer of Hebrews, this goal was to tell them. Whatever you're suffering, Jesus is greater. Whatever you think is in the past that was greater than Jesus, that is worth going back to, it's not true because Jesus is greater. He worked his way through all the angels. He said every angel, every prophet, every priest. Then he started picking off some of the big names, even Abraham, and then also the largest one, Moses. You think Moses was great. He was great in who he was, but Jesus was greater. Jesus was greater in his works. Jesus was greater in his personhood. Jesus was greater in his sacrifice. And his life was greater than everything else. And because he is greater, he is worthy to be pursued. Because he is greater, he is worthy to, be, uh, to, to persevere. Because he is greater, he is worth following after than turning back to the old way or turning towards the world. He is greater, he is better, and don't fall away because Jesus is greater than anything else you can have or anything else that, you ha- that you've had in the past. And chapter 1 opens up by declaring Jesus is God. Anyone ever tell you that Jesus is not God? Read Hebrews chapter 1. John chapter 1 will do it as well. But Hebrews chapter 1 tells you Jesus is God. He was made of the same substance. He was the icon of God. God and Jesus was the same substance of the very same nature, the express image of God. Jesus is God. Chapter 2 opens up and says Jesus was the perfect man. He was qualified to live on our behalf in a body where he took on flesh to to make a sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. So we call him the God-man. That's a theological term for the hypostatic union of Christ. He exists as God and man together, and he is the, he is the God-man. He is the way of salvation, and he is the way of God because he is God, and he was the perfect man all in one. And, and then as we begin to understand that, the writer of Hebrews begins a series of warnings. And it's important to make sure you mark these down, and there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. These five warnings really kind of hinge everything else that the book, uh, that the writer begins to do. As he proves these facts and he proves these truths, he also warns us, he, enc- he exhorts us. This is the sermon part. This is the exhortation part that he does. Five warnings in the book of Hebrews. It's really, really important. And he drives home the understanding of why we should persevere. Why should we push through on hard times? Why should we hold unto Jesus? Why should we hold fast to our confession? The first one, he says, beware to not, uh, to, to not neglect so great a salvation. And what does that mean? Well, as we learned about it, he's saying, make sure you keep the salvation of Jesus Christ in the forefront of your mind. That as a Christian, God does not love us or he has not given us grace because we're good people. He does not give us grace because we go to church. He, does, he has not provided, provided salvation because we have earned it. He has not given us this great salvation because uh, we deserved it. No, he gives it to us because of the grace of God. And it was a great salvation that was provided through Jesus Christ, not of your own. And we should never get, a, go, get over that. It's like a marriage or it's like a relationship. You should not get to the point to where you get over that person marrying you or get over that person uh, being a, a, a lifetime partner for you. 
And when you do that, you begin to take one another for granted and you begin to gripe and you begin to complain and everything goes downhill. And next thing you know, you're neglecting your salvation and you haven't kept the main thing, the main thing. And all of a sudden you're going to miss your harbor. That's what he said. You're going to miss your direction. You got to keep Christ first. And as you keep him first, you know it is for Christ and in him what he's done for you. And you won't miss the mark. It's kind of like typing. How many of you know how to type? And I'm not talking about the hunt and peck type of typing, right? I, one of the things with my kids was coming up and going through school, uh, and they still are uh, going through school as well, is that I can out-type them on a computer, but I can't out-type them on a phone. You ever got to see these guys on a phone with texting, you know? But on a regular typing class, uh, the very first important thing you learn is where to put your two index fingers, right? And you know if you don't get your two index fingers right, and you don't get it on the F and the J, then you know everything else that you touch is going to be off from there. And if you begin to type too fast without having your index fingers in the right spot, you get this jarbled up little message that comes across the screen. Or even worse, back when I was taking typing... You had to get the little white out strip and put it on there and take out all the little writing things. Uh, but if you don't get them lined up right, everything else is off. That's what he's saying here. If you, take, uh, if you take Jesus for granted, if you neglect the salvation, the so great of salvation, and then you're, everything else in your life's going to be off. It's going, to be, it's going to be pushed away and you're going to pay the price for walking away from God's will and you're not going to persevere and you're not going to keep Christ first. And so the exhortation is don't do it. Don't neglect how great a salvation you have. And for us this morning, I hope we never get over being saved. I hope we never get over the wonder and the thrill of amazing grace. I mean, just to think that Jesus died for you and he died for me, not because we're good people or not because we go to church or not because we deserve it, but because of his love and his grace and his mercy and our hearts which forever pursue God because of the great salvation he's given us. Listen, God, if he's done nothing else for us in his life but to give us salvation, we should forever sing praises to the Lord. We should forever do that. And that's the warning. Don't neglect this salvation and get off track. Second warning we began last week. That's where we're going to dig in a little more this week. The second warning was in Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 through 15, he says, Beware, brethren, verse 12, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the Holy God. So he's saying it is possible to get to a point where you can begin to have an evil heart of unbelief. To where it leads you to where you fall away. We call the word last week apostatize, Meaning to know the truth, but then you begin to willingly walk away from the truth. Like, like he's saying, make sure that you do not have this heart of unbelief, that you begin to believe things of the world or philosophies or any sort of tradition over the, true, uh, the truth of God, that you begin to walk down a path to where it ends with you falling away from the living, the living God. And, and we know it's, it's danger. He says, beware every single one of you. Now, like last week, I said, let's make sure we encourage our hearts that every one of us can follow this temptation. 
This is not for your neighbor. It's not for the person who's not here this morning, as we always like to do. Like, oh, I wish so-and-so was in church this morning to hear that message. Or I hope that so-and-so could hear this online because it was so good they really needed to hear it. Well, if you're here, you need to hear it. I need to hear it. That's what the warning is for. Beware, brethren, every single one of us should look to our hearts and begin to think about this. Are we pursuing things in our life that is pulling us away from the truth of God in our life? Are we beginning to harden our hearts towards the Lord? The process we talked about how this happens is through deception. The the, the devil, the enemy, the world, our flesh, we begin to get deceived. He begins to work in the shadows. He begins to set traps in your life to be able to pull you away from the true word of God. And we get casual and we get careless about God. Listen, I love to come to God and I love to know that we can come into his presence. We're going to talk about that later on in Hebrews and we can come to church casually. We can come to church and we can look on the outside. We may not look like uh, we may not look like we are going to church. We may not look like our uh, uh, that we are going to a place to where we need to revere God. But in our hearts, we better be sure that God is revered. We better not be sure to get to such a casual place that we take God for granted and we begin to think about him on our level like he's just going to have to listen to what I have to say or he's just going to have to do what I want him to do or he's just going to have to fit in with all the other ones. No, the Bible makes it clear he's the living God. He is a holy God. He is a God that we must revere. And if we don't revere him, we give a foothold to the devil to begin to deceitfully lead us away by sin. And he never comes in and he never says, hey, I'm the devil. I'm here to ruin your life and to pull you away from God so I can destroy your marriage, so I can destroy your children, I can destroy your career. No, he does it slowly and he deceives us step by step. And we have to be cautious. We have to be our we have to have our ears peeled. And we talked about two things last week that can help us from falling from that. One was accountability to another believer in Christ. And we, we talked about how we must encourage one another, that we must come together with one another and another brother and sister in Christ needs to help keep you on track, that you need someone looking out for you to say, hey, you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. You're, you're being friends with people who you shouldn't be friends with. I say this to my kids and I say this to myself all the time because it's so true. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's just the way that it is. If you have friends who are not believers in Jesus Christ and they are doing things that are not godly, guess what's going to happen in your life? You need someone to hold you accountable. You need someone to hold you accountable in the sense of saying, hey, you shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't be doing these things. And automatically, we as a Christian marriage, if you're a husband and wife, you should be the number one accountability partner for your spouse. And you say, well, how does this work? It doesn't really ever work in my life. Let me tell you, you may not think it works, but it works subconsciously because every man, like I said last week, when they do something that their wife doesn't know about, the first thing they say is, I hope my wife don't catch me doing this, right? Or maybe a brother and sister in Christ, you might say, well, I hope my Sunday school class don't let me see me doing this, or I hope the pastor don't see me doing this, or I hope it's automatic, And when you have accountability, it puts a layer of protection to keep you from falling into things you shouldn't fall into. And let me tell you, the first thing the devil will want to do is isolate you. 
He will want you to get you away from other believers. And this is true because later on in Hebrews, he's going to tell us not to forsake the gathering together of the believers. You know why? Because it helps hold us accountable. It helps hold us on track. And he's saying, once you get yourself isolated, then he begins to work on you. Then you don't have any accountability in your life. Then he's got you. He's got you right where he wants you. So we need accountability. That's one tool that God has given us to help uh, the help against the deceitfulness of sin. The second one was the voice of the Lord. Now, I told you last week, the voice of the Lord in my life is not audible. It's louder than audible. Like, I know the voice of the Lord just like my kids know how, when I whistle for them. I have a whistle that I can whistle, and all three of my kids know exactly when I whistle what that means, and they look to that whistle. The voice of the Lord in my life and your life is the same way. As a Christian, you know when you hear the voice of the Lord. You know when you feel the voice of the Lord, and the challenge is when you hear that voice, do not harden your heart towards that voice. And let me tell you, as a parent, when you have children and you're in the store, and what is it with young children? They know when you're very vulnerable, right? They know when you're around a lot of people, and they know they can get away with a few things, right? And so they begin to test you a little bit. They begin to challenge you a little bit. And you'll tell them, like, stop, put that down. And they just look at you and they just hold on to it. And you're like, you're not getting that. And you go to the next aisle and they still have it. And you look at him and he says, if you don't put that back, <laughs> right, you're gonna, this is going to happen to you. And sure enough, they begin to challenge and challenge and challenge to a point to where they say, hey, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to put you to the test to see if you are going to hold to your word. And if you don't hold to your word, then I'm going to get away with this. In our hearts, sometimes we harden our hearts to God and we say, I'm going to see if I can get away with this. I know what your voice says, Lord, and I know you're telling me to do this, but I'm hardening my heart towards you and I don't want to hear it and I'm not going to listen to it. And we harden our hearts to us. God gives us a little history lesson about that. He gives us the history lesson of the nation of Israel. He says the nation of Israel thought they could get away with it. They thought they can grumble. They thought they can gripe. They thought they can test the Lord. And they thought that I wouldn't respond to them. And they thought no matter whatever they did, they would enter into the promised land. But I told them, if you're not obedient to me, you're not going to enter the promised land. And they tested me. And guess what? I was faithful to judge them. And they guess what? When you read the story, they get to the promised land, right to the edge of it. And Moses included because he failed and tested the Lord too by striking the rock twice. And he looked and he said, God, can we go into the promised land? You know what the Lord said? No. I said, no, because you hardened your heart. Now the judgment has come and there's consequences when you harden your heart towards the Lord. And the voice of the Lord, when you hear it, the, 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 the admonition is, do not harden your hearts. And maybe this morning, maybe this week, you heard the voice of the Lord in your life and you hardened your hearts toward it. Don't do it. Let me tell you, when you put the Lord to the test, he, he will pass it with flying colors. He is just as sure as the sun and as sure as the moon goes down, it's arising and setting the sun. He is sure in his judgments. That he is holy and he will, not, he will not put up with you disobeying him. And he says, if you put me to the test, you will find out I will be faithful and true to ha handle my end of the deal. And he says, you must not harden your heart when you hear the voice of the Lord. Make sure you listen to it. Make sure you take heed to it. Make sure you take heed to it. Maybe it's in, in your marriage or maybe it's your home or maybe it's some friendship. If you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your hearts. Those are two things we have. The voice of the Lord and we also have... 
the accountability of other believers. Well, this morning he's going to give us two more. And I want to skip uh, the first part of chapter 4. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But I want you to get to verse 11. And I want to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And I want to continue this warning. And I want to continue two more tools that will keep us from falling to, fall, uh, falling to this warning. Uh, verse 11 says this, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to, to the eyes of him whom we must give an account and verse 14, see and then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, as the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but in all points we're tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I mean, what an important thing. When we open this up, we see he is continuing the thought process. If you read back in chapter 4, you realize he's just expanding a little more about this rest. He's talking about the nation of Israel being able to enter this rest, to enter this assurance of their relationship and fellowship with God. That it was possible and the word went forth. And as you know the story, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that went into the land. Do you remember? And they went into the land and they came back and they told the nation of Israel, it's possible. There are giants and there are troubles, but we can overcome them. But the rest of them said, no way. It cannot happen. Do not even try it. Don't even attempt it. It is not possible. And so God says the word of God went to everyone, but only two mixed it with faith. Only two had faith in what God was saying, and they entered the promised land. You remember, Joshua and Caleb both went into the promised land. And so because of their, that, that generation entered the promised land, he's saying, That's this, this is the promise to you. Your forefathers may not have done it, and those who are before you may not be able to do it, but you have this opportunity. Let us, this is the first part of this uh, verse 11, let us, it's, it's a possible uh, solution. It's, it's a willful choice. God has not given you something that's impossible. God has not given you something that you cannot do. And no one gets to say, well, God, this is not fair. I can't handle this. I can't do this. No, he says it's possible. It's just as possible as Joshua and Caleb. They mixed it with faith and it's a, there's something we can do. It's, it's something we can do. It's possible. And, and when he says us here, it's for all of us. We've heard this truth. We can make it happen. It can come to pass. But you must be diligent. See that second part? Be diligent to do this. Make this your top priority. Make this something that's on the forefront of your mind. Make sure that Jesus is the priority in your life. Make sure he's the priority in your schedules and priority in your, in your finances and priority in your relationships. You got to stay on top of it. You can't fall asleep at the wheel. You can't be, you got to be sober. You got to be vigilant. You got to be looking for this. You got to be on guard for this. You got to be something that pursues this because only those who pursue it 
Only those who are being diligent, only those who are, are willing to find these things, are, are willing to pursue these things, you will be able to enter that rest. You see the word rest there? And you say, what in the world is he talking about rest? Well, it's a picture in the Old Testament, but for us as Christians, there is, there is a rest to come in our assurance in the Lord. There is a time to come that when you stay on top of this and you're rooted in God and you are walking with Him, there's a sweet fellowship that comes. There is a sweet assurance to know no matter what you're going through, that, that the world can be falling apart, that things in your life you can be struggling, but you have this assurance deep in, down in your soul and this seeking of this peace that comes from God. And you know He loves you. And you know you have this assurance of salvation. And you know that whether it works out now or it works out later, that you're in the right place with the Lord. That, that you, can, you, can you are struggling, but you know you can enter this rest in your heart and your soul. And let me tell you, as a Christian, nothing beats that. You know, when you have that in your life and you know at the end of the day when you put your head on the pillow that you're right with God and you have that assurance in your heart, the rest of the world can fall apart. But if you know that you have that peace from God and you know whether you live or whether you die, whether you lose your job or you keep your job, whether you have troubles or trials or whether you have a great day, that you have this peace and this sweet assurance from the Lord that all is right, that everything is okay. You know, Pastor Josh and Miss Courtney, she's, they had their baby. And so I love little bitty babies when they're small like that. I don't like to hold them unless they're mine, though, because I think they might break. You know what I mean? So if you have a baby and you want me to hold them, don't let me hold them until they're like six months old, all right? I like them when they're not breakable, you know, somewhat. So, so as you look at that little baby, though, as you look at them, I can remember with our kids, every time that they would be going to sleep and you would feed them and they would drift off into sleep and they'd just have that look about their face. And you looked at him, you thought, wow, how in the world could something be screaming at the top of their lungs, right? Red face, throwing a fit, nothing in the world is right. And all of a sudden in the arms of their mom and after a feeding and after getting all that they wanted, all of a sudden, perfect peace. I mean, not a care in the world. And yet that's exactly what I think about when you think about the assurance of the Lord. The world can be falling apart and everything can be in stress. But when you get into the presence of the Lord and you have that assurance of God's power and will of your life and you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you know everything's going to be okay because you have that assurance that's in your heart. One scripture puts it, the peace that passes all understanding. Let me tell you, that's what you want. And he's saying it's possible. It's possible in your life to get to that point. And he's saying, lest any of you don't fall away in this disobedience, it won't happen. If you go the way of disobedience, it won't happen. It's possible to get there, though. And it's possible because of these tools that he has given us. We talked about the two already. Um, we talked about the accountability and we talked about the voice of the Lord. Two more he's going to give us. And we're going to close up this morning with two more tools. The first tool is the word of God. Let me tell you, I think many times we don't understand the treasure we have in God's word. We don't understand the value that we hold in our hands many times or the thing that we have on our phone or iPad or things we might listen to in our ears. Listen to Hebrews 4, uh, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
Doesn't that make you want to shout? I know it's 1030, but come on, you could give a little bit. If you don't say amen, say oh my, right? One country preacher said, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood is wet. All right, listen, we have the word of God. And for you as a Christian, what a tool. I mean, this is the only offensive weapon he gives us in, a, in, a, in our armor of spiritual attacks. He gives us this word of God and he says, this is powerful. It is more powerful than anything else. It is living. It is active. It's powerful. It discerns. It cuts. It, it's powerful in your life. It penetrates. It penetrates down to the soul. It penetrates through the joints and the marrow. It penetrates through the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Listen, you know, so many things come into our life at so many different times, right? I'm going to tell you, there are things that come into my life that I consume on an everyday basis that I have to take to the Word of God. And there, there are things that even with our kids, you think about what our kids hear and what they, what they understand from our culture, and now even from an education standpoint, and even from a government standpoint, what, what's being drilled into their minds, Right? And what's being drilled in their minds are these lies and these, these, uh, these, these deceptions and deceitfulness. And we have a weapon. We have the ability to take the word of God and take those things and take it to the word of God. And it discerns them in our lives. It tells us what a marriage is. You know why I know what a marriage is? I can read God's word and it tells me what marriage is. I can look to my kids and I can teach them what marriage is. You know, even in the thought processes of our minds, not just of the world, think about the thoughts that come through your mind. Let me tell you, I, through my mind, many times thoughts come that I would never imagine come through my mind. By the way, thoughts are not sins. Thoughts are something that comes through your minds that you don't have to act upon. But let me tell you, all sorts of thoughts come through my mind all the time. And all sorts of thoughts come through my mind, but yet I'm thankful to God that I have the word of God that can discern my thoughts. That it, it even pierces my thoughts. It pierces my, my feelings. Let me tell you, sometimes when you're persecuted, you, you are going through troubles and trials. You, you don't feel right sometimes. Sometimes you feel anger. And kind of like Job and his wife, you know, when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? That was a feeling she was expressing. That was something that was in her soul and her feeling and her life was expressing that sometimes in our heart and our feelings and our minds. But listen, the word of God is more powerful than that. It's so powerful that we can bring them to the word of God and it can discern those things. It can sort our thoughts. It can sort the intents of our heart. You ever wanted to do something right, but you just kind of failed at doing it, but your intent was good? Like you had a good heart that you wanted to do. It didn't turn out right, but yet you had the intention of doing that. Listen, that's what he's saying. The word of God is like, it's so powerful. It's so penetrating. It probes down even to the soul. Let me tell you, when I get into God's word, sometimes it's like he's speaking straight to my heart. Listen, the word of God is not for just education. The word of God is not just for us to get more knowledge. The word of God is not just for us to become smarter. It's transforming. It is for transformation in our life. It transforms our minds. It transforms our heart. It transforms our feelings. And we take our feelings, our thoughts, and the things of our life, and we bring them to the Word of God, and it discerns them. That's the way the Bible is. If, you don't, if you're not practically using the Bible every day and letting it discern the things that come into your life, let me tell you, you will be deceived. You will be deceived. Listen, there are going to be people that you meet 
that your feelings are going to feel for and you're going to have these thought processes in your mind and you're going to fall for them and you're going to fall for the thought processes and if you don't discern the word of God, you're going to be in a relationship you shouldn't be in. That's why it's important when you, when you decide who you're going to marry or who you're dating, that that person know Jesus Christ, that you have a real relationship with God. That's what the Bible teaches us because our feelings can lead us astray. Our thoughts can lead us by, but the word of God is discerning and we got to know it. We got to get wisdom from it. We got to let it discern our hearts and our thoughts and our intents. And that's why it's important to have God's word in our life. As you come to church and hear a sermon, that's great. But listen, that won't last you very long. Because when you leave here, you got, you're going to realize that uh, what you understood and con- co- uh, took in the context of what the Word of God says, it was just very minimal. It's minimal compared to you getting in the Word yourself. It's minimal compared to you opening the Bible with your family and teaching them the Word of God. It's minimal to you when you get to have this quiet time with the Lord and study chapter by chapter or verse by verse through the Bible. Let me encourage you. Let me strongly exhort you to get into God's word, to have a Bible time to where you can study it, to where you can read it. We talk about it. We pledge to it every single Sunday. And we say, let's hide God's word in our heart that I might not sin sin against God. You know why? Because when the temptation comes, the word of God discerns that and says, no, don't do that. That's a sin. It's going to pull you away from God. And listen, by, as a church, this is why we're so committed to God's Word. Every time you come to hear a sermon, it's going to be in God's Word. Listen, I have a lot of opinions. You can ask Aaron, I have tons of opinions. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. But guess what? You have bad opinions too, right? I mean, we all do. And listen, I don't want to share opinions and I don't want to share just thoughts or ideals. I want to share the word of God because that's where the power is. And that's where you leave this place. You're going to have something in your heart that can do something about the feelings and the intents of your mind. That's why we do it in men's Bible study. When you come to a men's Bible study, we're going to be teaching God's word. When you come to a women's Bible study, you're going to be hearing about God's word. When you come to the children's department, we're not going to be telling stories or themes. We're going to be sharing the Bible. Because we believe and we know that is the power. That's where the power comes from. It is living. It's powerful. It's discerning. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning, you don't have a daily quiet time where you set aside five minutes or 10 minutes just to read God's word. And let me tell you, don't be one of those people who says, well, that's it. I'm going to start reading my Bible and I'm going to read it through in one year. Let me tell you, you're never going to make it. All right. If you haven't read the Bible before, don't try start off trying to read it all in one year. Start off taking one chapter. Start off taking one verse. Start off taking one part of it and begin to work yourself through it. Get a good study Bible. Get you a good study Bible. Get you, get you something online that you can look through that has some depth to it and read to it and understand some notes in it and study it systematically through it because I'm going to tell you there's going to be times when your feelings are going to lead you astray. When your thoughts are going to say, God doesn't love me. When there's going to be times when you feel like, hey, I'm unworthy to God. He cannot forgive me. Have you ever felt that before? Your feelings are going to tell you these things and you got to know the scripture. You got to go to God's word and he will penetrate past that thought. He will penetrate past that understanding and you will come to the word of God and it will discern your heart. It will discern your feelings. It will discern your mind and it will judge those things. It will give you power to understand them, the word of God. And this morning, if you had to rate your Bible knowledge from one to 10, what would it be? 
From one to 10, would you say you're a one or would you say you're a 10? Would you say you're somewhere in between wherever you are? Let me encourage you to dig a little deeper, to be serious about your study in the word. Get in God's word, put it to work in your life. It's a powerful tool that will keep you from walking away from the Lord and losing your perseverance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Make sure you have the word of God. Second thing he gives you is what I like to call the altar of Jesus Christ. And I love this part. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help, uh, to help in the time of need. Let me tell you, when you get in hard times and you become persecuted and you begin to run from God, the first temptation is to, to, to not go to Jesus. That's it. It'll tell you you've gone too far. You shouldn't go to Christ or you shouldn't call out on his name. He don't understand you, right? He don't know what you're going through. He doesn't know what pain is. He doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, as before this verse here, it says that Christ was tempted in all points just like we were to a degree we couldn't understand. God, uh, Jesus Christ knew pain. He knew suffering. He knew separation from God. He got to a point several times where he just said in the Garden of Gethsemane, nevertheless, thy will be done, Lord. He got to a point on the cross to where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had been to the point of temptation and trial. He knew betrayal. He knew unforgiveness. He knew all these things. He experienced all these things, it says, so that he can be someone that we can boldly go to. You know, so many times in our life we think, well, I can't bring this to God. Why can't you? Why can't you bring that to the throne of grace? He's exhorting us, don't run from Jesus, run to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, the first thing the devil will tempt you to in the world will say, run away from Jesus. He wants nothing to do with you. But the word of God says, run to Jesus, not just in shame or not just, uh, not just a little bit. He says, run boldly to him. Jesus, I know I need help, right? And I'm coming to you and your altar and I'm coming to your throne of grace. I love that. It's the grace of God. He has it open for us and we are able to approach him. And he says, come to my throne. And what is it is? You obtain mercy. You know what mercy means? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is when you've done something wrong or you've done something you shouldn't have and you deserve the punishment or wrath. He's saying you come to the throne of Jesus Christ and you'll find this mercy. And in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of you pushing God away, you will find this mercy in the throne of Jesus Christ and he will be graceful. You'll find this grace uh, and help in the time of need. That's where you go to. Listen, you can come to me and I could try to help you, but you're only going to get what I could do. You can go call on someone else or you can call on a, on a theology or you can call on a, a, a friend. And listen, only what they can do is what you'll get from them. But let me tell you, when you call in the name of Jesus, when you go to his throne, when you go to his mercy, when you go to his throne, let me tell you, he, he is there for you and he can give you something no one else could give you. And rather than running from it, you need to run to it. 
You need to run to it in your guilt. You need to run to it in your shame. You need to run to it in your heartache and your pain. You need to run to it when your relationships break. You need to run to it when your kids are disobedient. You need to run to it when your heart is far from God. Run to Jesus Christ. He is there for you. And you got to do it every single day. You got to bring yourself to that throne. And I used to say that. And I love that song where it says, One day at a time, sweet Jesus. You know that song? Listen, I've learned in my life, though, it's not just daily. Sometimes it's momentarily, right? Sometimes there are heartaches and pains in your life that are so troubling and trialing that you got to go to them every second. Lord, I need your help. Jesus, I'm here to find mercy and grace. God, I need your help. I find in need. And listen, in my life, every time I've been there, he's been there for me. He's been there for me every single time. And you this morning... Maybe you feel like God wants nothing to do with you or Jesus Christ will push you away. Let me tell you, you don't need to run from Jesus. You need to run to him. And when you run to his throne, we can find that grace and that mercy in the very time of our need. He's been brokenhearted. He's had loss in his life. He experienced death. He experienced the pain that we have. He experienced all the things that we have. He's experienced them and he's saying, come to me and run to my throne. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you've been to that throne? When was the last time you went to the throne of Jesus Christ and put your heart on the altar? I love to call it an altar. It's when you take all that you have and put it on the altar of Jesus Christ and say, here I am, Lord. I don't want to sing a song and I don't want anything from you. I'm just here to put my heart on your throne and I'm here to find grace from you, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this morning, may you run to that altar. May you run to that throne of grace that you'll find in Jesus Christ. And what a Savior we have. Listen, when you're tempted to walk away, when you're tempted to harden your heart, when you're tempted to know, think that God can't forgive you, when you're tempted to think that God doesn't love you anymore, when you're tempted to think that God's punishing you in some way unfairly or unjustly, when you're tempted to say other people are succeeding God, but I don't ever get ahead in life. When you're tempted to think those thoughts and you're tempted even to feel like, God, I don't want you in my life. God, I don't want you around me. God, I don't want you to think. Look to these tools. Look to find someone in your life that will help hold you accountable. Look to someone in your life that will help you understand, identify things that will bring you closer to God. And listen for the voice of the Lord in your life. Listen, don't harden your heart towards that. So many people constantly come to me and they say, I just can't take it no more. God's conviction in my life is eating me up. Let me tell you, that's a good thing. When you feel the voice of the Lord and you still have it in your heart, like he says today, listen to it. Don't harden your heart towards that because he cares for you. He wants you to come into fellowship with him. He wants you to enter to that rest. And if you don't, if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your heart. Tool number three, get into God's word. When you leave this place, make a commitment to read God's word, to digest it, to memorize it, to begin to study his word, to know it, because in it, it will discern your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, and it will discern the lies and the deceitfulness that's coming into your life. And fourthly, run to the throne of grace. Run to Jesus. If you have the heartaches and the pains and the trials and you feel like giving up, don't say God don't understand. He does. 
And you can run to his throne. And, and when you go, you will find this help in a time of need. And he said, that's the way you overcome a heart of unbelief. That's it. Those are the tools he's given us to do that. And when we do that, we can boldly or confidently enter into this sweet assurance to know that Jesus is mine. You know, the one of the, the songs that we sang there, the phrase in the little verse that I love, it says, Take my heart, Lord, and seal it for thy courts above. Our hearts are prone to wander. We are. That's just the way we are. But may it be our prayer this morning, like the book of Hebrews exhorts us, to lift our hearts to the Lord and say, here's my heart, Lord, seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray together this morning.